3: you're listening to sapnin podcast sapnin sapnin you are listening to episode 178 of sapnin podcast with myself sean smith and my friend with two first names morgan Richards.
4: (laughs) yes it's me morgan richards and i'm a dick
3: I know. Anyway, this week's guest is <laughs> singer, <laughs> songwriter, and frontman of Simple Plan. Yes, he's not Marge's brother. It's Pierre Bouvier. I yes. have more to say, I babe. don't give a flying fact. Uh, I got in here. Honestly, if you listen to this, right, and you've listened to any of the other episodes, you will know that Morgan every week tries to do puns of the guest we have on, right? And it is never planned. We never talk about it before it happens. And just now, that moment, I swear on my mother's life, right, was no planned whatsoever. I fucking got him. I finally got him. Yes. Fucking have that. Yes.
4: Uh,
3: Don't do any more. I know you're sad sad because you've got it written (laughs) out.
4: (laughs) But yes, Simple Plan have been and are one of the staple figures to this scene of alternative music for the last two decades. They've never missed a beat. All their records contain some of the catchiest monster choruses around and just a band I've personally had a massive obsession with. Throughout high school, I had their first three albums on an iPod shuffle that I listened to on the bus every day. And some people won't even know what that
3: is. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, iPod shuffle. Jesus Christ. But yeah, what an absolutely lovely conversation we had with um, one of the world's most positive people. Again, probably because he's Canadian, I guess. Also, go and check out the podcast we did recently with Liam from Cancerbat, also Canadian, also fucking lovely. Then we done one with Wade McNeil, Canadian, also fucking lovely. Come on, Canadians, give us a bastard to talk to. <laughs>
4: this is like Team Canada now, but no, <laughs> yeah. it's a real pleasure for us to have Pierre on, getting to... Go a little bit nerdy behind the scenes with his career ahead of their sixth full-length studio album, Harder Than It Looks, released now on May the 6th. So many of the younger generations of bands we've talked to on this podcast, like Set It Off, Michael puck have mentioned Simple Plans Influence, and it's no surprise, Sean.
3: Oh, unbelievable band. They've written some of the catchiest songs you've ever come across, uh, to the point where they're so catchy, they're almost not yet, but obviously they're not. We talk all things Simple Plan, TikTok, Gabe being Tony Oaks' dad. Yeah. And um, <laughs> one of my favourite bits, we talk about Sean Paul. We
4: do, we do. There's a collection of everything in this podcast, from them really getting on the scene as a, such a yearly age, to the changes they've seen in the music industry, his involvement with Emo's Not Dead, being a father... The success of I'm Just a Kid on TikTok, smart lyrics, a unique hobby, and he even sings for us a few times on this podcast. So you have to listen
3: all the way through. That's weird, isn't it? To this day, to this day, I still get a bit, oh, fucking hell, private performance. That's what I think every time we have someone on. It's like when me and you were sitting here and we had Steve Vai, guitar legend on. And all of a sudden he was like, oh yeah, watch this now. And all of a sudden the guitar appeared and he just started playing all of the notes. And I was like, this is a two-person fucking Steve Vai show. <laughs> people pay thousands of pounds for this. Yes. So yes, thank you very much for checking out Sapnin Podcast. If this is your first time, welcome. Please go back and check out all the other episodes. We've got loads and I'm sure there's at least two other people that you will enjoy listening to. And then once you finish listening to them... You've reached the threshold of three episodes of Sapnin' Podcast. That means you must, you legally must, not legally, sign up to patreon.com forward slash Sapnin' to support the boys.
4: Yes, please. That's the best way to support us. You get exclusive content on our Patreon with things from behind the scenes, extra podcasts, videos all sorts and get involved with a wonderful community of people that will be your new best friends. They go to gigs with each other. They're planning to meet up at festivals. It's just a lovely, lovely time. So patreon.com forward slash Sapnin and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. But without any further ado, let's get straight into this wonderful conversation with Pierre of Simple Plan on episode 178 of Sapnin Podcast. Sapnin! Sapnin!
2: Sapnin, fellas, what's up?
3: Yes! Yes, this week's guest is the mighty Pierre Bouvier, singer, songwriter of a song that drives me absolutely mental. Um, (laughs) As soon as I just hear the first three words, I'm just a, and it is stuck with me forever. (laughs) Yes, this week's guest, Pierre Bouvier of Simple Plan. How are you? I'm doing great. Really good. How are you guys doing?
4: Yeah, good, man. I'm uh, I'm very, very pleased to have you on. You are someone I've wanted to talk to, interview for, for many, many years. And I'm glad that we could finally make this happen. But how's things really going in your camp? How's things over there? I'm sure it's a very busy time gearing up for this new record.
2: Yeah, everything's good. We just got back from Mexico. We did a few shows there and uh, got back home on Sunday night late. Uh then back into dad mode, uh, you know, making lunches for my kids in the morning. I went for a little run with my dogs and my, my uh my oldest daughter. And uh just just a little bit of uh time at home to kind of recover and then back on the road starting in a couple of weeks, heading out with some forty one in the US. But uh but yeah, just busy, busy doing some interviews and trying to balance the the life at home and the and the life uh of simple plan.
4: Yeah. How does that balance kind of come hand in hand over the years because I'm sure you know as you've gone on and the band's gone bigger and bigger there's been more responsibility at home with a family as well so how do you manage to balance it all
2: uh, I think what helps is having a, a wife that that is able to handle it because obviously being in a band there there becomes in some ways two sides of my personality you know there's the guy that's on stage is jumping around like a madman and then there's a the guy that's at home who's a dad who's you know doing regular chores and and uh you know just doing the dad life so Um, I guess what's nice about it is that because of what we do, I get to spend a lot of concentrated time at home. You know, I get to, I obviously I go away for weeks at a time, which is more difficult, but when I am home, I'm able to be there, do the the school drop-offs and the pickups and going on hikes and doing fun stuff. Cause I've got nothing else going on other than doing some press and stuff, but I've got a fair amount of time when I'm here. So it kind of like balances itself out on its own you get, uh, you know, a lot of time away and then a lot of uh, more uh, focused time at home.
4: Well, speaking about that home life, before we get into music and everything, um, I do believe that on your downtime as well, you're a bit of a chicken farmer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, I was I was actually just uh, this morning refilling their food and their water and making sure they're all good. Yeah, I have, uh, my, uh, my daughters always love chickens and are we we moved not long ago, but the, the house we used to have, we used to live by a, a feed store and they would have chicks. So we'd go buy the dog food and then they're like, oh my God, these chicks are so cute. And then one day we say, oh, let's just get a few. So then we got, I was like, maybe like seven, seven years ago. And uh, so we got th- three chickens and then we raised them and that was fun. Then we got two more and then we got two more and then some of them die. You know, there's predators around. Hmm. Uh, and right now, so we have 12 chickens. One of them is a rooster. And uh, well, yeah, we collect the eggs and we just, you know, have them around the house and they're, they're, they're fun little pets. It's funny because when my kids were younger, they used to spend more time with them. Now it's me that just takes care of them, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, what happened? I'm just like cleaning up chicken poo and, and collecting eggs. But it's, <laughs> it's funny.
3: Yeah, it's mad. It's mad. Cause, yeah. From doing this podcast, we've learned about like other legends of rock, I guess, and the crazy animal keeping habits. So like, yeah, yeah, I didn't know when to- I didn't know until this moment that you kept chickens, like the same way a couple of weeks ago we had Steve Vion. I had no idea he was a beekeeper. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I
2: think it's, uh, you know, the, the, the fun thing is that when you've been blessed with some success, you know, you can, you can buy a nice piece of land and then you feel like, oh, I should put some animals on here, you know. So we, we've got two dogs, a cat, and 12 chickens. Um, so it's, it's fun, you know. It's, it's, for me, it was something for the kids to do. You know, they love raising these little chickens and it gives them a responsibility that they give up on. And then I ended up yeah. taking, you know, <laughs> yeah, but the fresh eggs are nice. You know, we get to give fresh eggs to neighbors and we get some cool oh. colored eggs. And so it's fun.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I just don't think a lot of people would have, would have expected that. But Pierre, I mean, there's so much about Simple Plan I've wanted to talk to uh, you about. And one of the main things is that really... When you guys first came on to the scene, you were so young. I think you are really fresh-faced, music videos all over MTV. And you were kind of that band that was like, everyone was labeling as like the next big pop punk band and stuff. But now it's kind of come full circle where you have influenced so many bands in the scene today and they're like freaking out that they get to tour with you or play with a (laughs) festival and stuff like that. Was there like a moment where you you felt that switch or is it just being like a continuous thing for you that you have to stop and and realize the situation sometimes because Simple Plan has always been so busy?
2: Yeah, I think, well, time goes by real quick, you know, and then yeah, you, there's, a, there's a lot of moments in our career where maybe we didn't have the time to look back and look at the accomplishments and like, uh, look at sort of how, as you're saying, like, I think it, it started to happen for me I remember we were on Warp Tour and at some point, cause we played like 17 Warp Tours. Mm. Um, but at some point I remember younger bands that I thought, man, that band's really cool. And they were like heavy and stuff. And they were like, I was like, Oh, they must think that my band is lame, you know? And we'd go to catering and they're like, Hey man, I grew up listening to your record, man. It's like, so, and I was like, Whoa, like we're, we're now becoming the elders, you know, the, the ones that, uh, that influence in some way, some of these uh, younger bands. Uh, and, but yeah, I think that also what's been nice about this pandemic is that ha- having two years, not being on the road has given us the time to sort of like, you know, settle down, let, let the dust settle and like, think about life and think about where we are. And we all have kids now we're getting older. So all this introspection is happening. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's really cool to see, you know, I can only imagine that some of these people that are, that are coming, up in the scene now that obviously maybe we you know one of our first second records or whatever might've influenced them. And the cool thing now is that their music is influencing me for my next stuff, you know? So it kind of like goes into this cool cycle where, um, uh, that, that we kind of influence each other, you know, back and forth, hopefully. Um, so that's really cool. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, when we are, when we are touring a lot and, and you're putting out these records, We didn't really have the time. It was just go forward, 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 forward. And, you know, we got a lot of success, but we never really hit it, in my opinion, as like gigantic. We never hit the Green Day status or Blink 182 status or Foo Fighters or the Killers. So we were always chasing. So the result of that is that we never looked back. We were never like, Oh, look what we did. We're just like, go, 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 go. And now I think that, you know, coming on album six here, we can look back and say like, man, We've done some cool stuff.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, very much so. One of our previous guests on is, uh, has been Matt Kachel of Emo's Yeah, I not love dead. him.
2: I love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emo's Not Dead, baby. That's, that's my, it's my jogging hoodie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: nice. I was, yeah, I was just wondering how you felt about that and how, because I remember kind of when, like, when, uh, if a band was called Emo, it was, Used as a kind of a derogatory term. Like they were like, Oh, you know, you're not a metal band or you're not a hardcore band or any of this stuff. I was just wondering how you felt about that. Like back then, and obviously you feel different about it now because like, emo's yeah, yeah. not dead.
2: I, I think we're seeing a, we're, we're seeing a big shift in all of this kind of stuff. I I was actually reading a book called Sellout. Uh, that was really interesting. And when I came out, you know, I was born in 79. By the time the early nineties came around, I was forming my first bands, uh, played on like the, you know, the, 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 uh, the punk scene by the age of 15, 16, I was in a band assigned to an indie label, um, and we're doing all this stuff. And at the time there was a lot more sort of, I don't want to say segregation, but like there was a lot more, uh, uh, sort of separation between like if you're if you're too pop or if you're if you're this if you're that and yes when the term emo came out like in the early 2000s or you know 2005 or so it was almost like a joke it was like uh you know you're like you're gonna go put your eyeliner on and go cry in the corner and and comb your hair like this and to be honest i think when you are a creative artist who does you know create you don't really think about it that specifically. You kind of go with it. You do what you can, you know. And like at the end of the day, like I, I listen to some of the songs that I've, re- you know, written in the past, and I'm like, ah, I don't like that one so much. And I, I, I listen to other artists, and I'm like, I wish I would have done that, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, you can't control what's going to come out of you uh, artistically. You got to like put it out. So, anyways, so when emo that term got, got tossed around. Yeah, it was it was funny because I didn't mind it because we never minded when people said like, you guys are too pop or you're, too, you're not punk. I'm like, I'm not even saying that I'm punk. I'm just doing what I like. I grew up listening to Green Day, uh, No Effects and Flink uh, and 182 and MXTX. And this is what is coming out of all this inspiration. And I don't really care what it's called. So when people toss around the word emo... Uh, I was like, yeah, whatever. Just another term to, 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 you know, to, to put over the name simple plan, which is fine by me. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't love it. But what I think is cool now is that you look at the younger generation and what's coming out now and people are a lot less, I think there's less hate. There's less negativity. There's a lot more inclusion. There's a lot of people that are saying like, I don't care if you like hip hop or if you like pop or if you like metal or hardcore or screamo, whatever it is. If you like it, you like it. There's, there there, seems to be a more of an acceptance of you can be a fan of Taylor Swift and a day to remember. It's totally fine. You know what I mean? Um, so I like that. And that's why I embrace the whole emo thing. It's funny because yeah, like emo was much more specific when I remember like, you know, when saves the day came out or, uh, or dashboard confessional or uh, something corporate that was like more emo and it, you could feel a little more emotion there. But now we're all lumped into emo, you know, whether it's, <laughs> yeah, whether it's Green Day, Blink 182, Simple Plan, Good Charlotte, Some 41. Um, so I'm cool with it. I embrace it. I love what Cutchell's doing. I think that the emo's not dead. Videos are hilarious. And uh, I think it's cool that everyone's being a little more chill. And you look at pop radio and pop radio is badass now, you know, like pop radio is playing cool stuff. Like Billie Eilish is badass and she's a pop artist. You know what I mean? So uh, or whatever. She, I don't even know what she calls herself, but, um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter anymore. So I embrace the emo, you know, the revival. And uh, I, f- I mean, for a moment, I had the Justin Bieber haircut, you know, like the, the oh, side. Yeah, days. you I did. Those, yeah, yeah. You
4: know? <laughs> yeah. The self record. But the like, emo mullet. <laughs> <laughs> but with, um, with Kutchula as well, like obviously not only is he kind of bringing people together while having a laugh at how seriously people were taking some of those elements of emo, but he's... uh made the internet think of Tony Hawk's dad in some weird way. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that was hilarious. He, he, he sent me the script for that, and I was like, yes. I, it, it makes no sense at all, you know? And that's what makes it hilarious. It's like, oh, yeah, that's my son, Tony Hawk. Wait a minute. Tony Hawk's your son? <laughs> um, but what I think is cool, too, is that, I mean, I think that Cutshill now is, like, really putting even more of a spotlight on emo and all that stuff, and, like, it's it's he's he's helping propel this scene that's been there, you know, so it's pretty powerful.
4: But kind of going back, mentioning those really early days of the band and, you know, coming onto seeing in 2002, what was some of the biggest like learning curves you all had early on from touring or just making music? Cause especially around that time, I think like, you know, it was like you, Newfound Glory, some 41, good Charlotte. And then you obviously had Green Day and blink is kind of that, that next stage up, but it just seemed like such a, Exciting time, especially when you look back at those kind of old Warped Tour posters and just all of you like sharing each other's tours, really.
2: Yeah, I think um, it was it was a great time. I think that, uh, like I said before, when, when we were in it, we were just in it. We were just looking forward. You know, uh, we didn't even maybe realize how big we were and what an, what an impact we had. I mean, we were aware that we were on these little teen bop magazines and we were like really connecting on another level. But we didn't really realize how big we were because, as opposed to today, we didn't have a number on our phone that told us how many followers we had. We didn't have. We didn't even know how many records we were selling. We were getting, you know, we were getting like messages from our record labels saying like, "Thumbs up, guys! We just went platinum." (laughs) And I'm like, "Okay, cool. I I don't know what that means, you know." And like the shows got bigger, and the offers and the and the money got better, but like it wasn't as obvious as it is today. You know, you put a video out within a week, you know how well it did on YouTube. You know, um, you know, you know how if your followers have bumped up so much or uh, your Spotify and Apple music spins or, you know, real time every day you get an update. Um, so yeah, it was a cool time. But it was and I like I like that we didn't know, you know, because we just kind of went and we did what we had to do. And uh, we enjoyed it. And we were a little bit more, let's say living in the moment because it's all you had. We barely had cell phones. I remember like, uh, we had cell phones and, but when we would travel abroad, it was like, yeah, you can't call. It's going to cost me a fortune. So we'd be like, I'll call (laughs) you next week, you know? Yeah, it was, it was a crazy time. It was fun. And, uh, yeah, it's great to look back and think like after, after all this craziness, look back and be like, wow, that was pretty big. Yeah.
3: Mad to think it's like bands today now get, whether they get shows and stuff can, depend on how many plays they have on Spotify. And that's, mm-hmm. that that to me is absolutely mental. For me, it's completely deflating. Like if, if you if how many people are listening to you is if you're worthy of going on a tour or opening for someone, oh, it just makes me feel a little bit sick inside. But. Well, I think what's,
2: what's, even, what's even more disturbing or bizarre is that, because I've been working with this young kid during the pandemic and I made a whole album with this young kid called Beckett. And, uh, he's, we have a great record. We have two songs that are out and we got more coming out and it's, the record's amazing. Like it's really, really great. I'm super proud of it. But the kid, he, he was 16 when I met him and, uh, now he's 18 stuff's coming out slowly and he hates social media. You'd be surprised, you know, the kid's 18 years old. You would think this is what he's into, but he hates social media. He's got like 2000 followers on Instagram. His posts are awful, but his voice is great. And his talent is amazing. And he's working on the social media. I don't, I don't want him to hear this and be like, insulted. <laughs> you're doing, you're doing great Beckett. Um, but he doesn't really like doing it, you know? And if you want a record deal, and if you want attention from radio or anything to sort of propel your music, you, you, if you don't have social media, they're like, yeah, sorry, not going to happen. And that's, what's weird to me, because I know that we have a great record. We have a great song. We have a song that's got 150,000 spins with no promotion whatsoever. Wow. Um, and it's, but it is still, you know, you have c- certain labels have approached approached him and looked at his TikTok and looked at his Instagram and said, like, yeah, I know. And I'm
3: like, wait a minute, we M- have music, yeah. It's what? It's the music. Shouldn't edition, the music the be tic- enough? Exactly. <laughs> not the fuck. It's not the fucking dance industry, is it? Yeah, stop, exactly. Stop taking TikTok followers and TikTok plays That's all. Oh. But but
4: talking about all that, really, it's quite funny because the amount of people we've spoken to kind of like on this podcast and behind the scenes who are like in management roles for bands or working for labels, a lot of them have used Simple Plans TikTok as a as an example for what bands should be treating in social media like today. But it just seems from someone looking at it from the outside in that you guys are just having so much fun with that. It's not like a forced thing we are like, okay, i got to post this. You're just... Really making a lot of comedy towards yourselves and just having fun, having a laugh. Is it kind of just strange to, to see the evolution of what you've had to do to be in a band, but also have platforms like this where you can just have fun and increase your listeners even more?
3: And also, did you know that a lot of people are saying check out Simple Plans, uh, social media? <laughs> no, uh,
2: but, well, I think that we just got lucky, you know, like we, we've always been sort of we've always leaned into every opportunity that we have to sort of reach out to the fan base and, you know, embrace those technologies. And we've always been that band that would do that. Even in the beginning, we had a, you know, a sixth member of the band who was our friend with a video camera that filmed us all the time. We released a DVD that was like three hours long back in 2003. So we've always understood the power of that, but yeah, for social media now we, we try to have fun with it. Sometimes it feels like a chore. Um, but I think you just have to embrace it. You have to, you have to embrace it for what it is, but you also have to be careful because you can become sort of that just social media person and people don't ignore your music. So it's, it's a, it's a challenge, but listen, I think honestly, every generation, every, every, uh, era of music has its own challenges. You know, like back in the day in the eighties and nineties, if you didn't get a record deal, you couldn't afford to make an album. So now you can make an album right here. I can make one in my house. It could it could be done next week. Um, you know, with a little bit of talent and, and a a good laptop and a good microphone, you know, you're talking about under around a couple of thousand dollars and you have a pro studio that you can make a record in. Now, what does that mean? That means that you have the opportunity to do something great, but it also means that everybody else has that same opportunity. So how do you, you got to have to work harder. You're going to have to make it better than everybody else, you know? And then social media is the same thing. How do you take that social media platform and make it work for you? And I don't have that answer, which we try our best. Um, I think that like, I look at that kid that I was working with and I'm like, he needs to get on there and like, look at that. And like, how do I make myself shine? And it sucks. Listen, like if you don't want to do it, if you want to be a Kurt Cobain, it's like, I'm an artist and I don't do that. Obviously it was a different time. Uh, you know, you can be that, but you can also use these tools to whatever, you know, however it makes it work for you. So it's, it's a, it's, it's a weird time. And I think it's easy to look at that and say like, you know, this is, you know, the music industry going to crap, but I think there's ways to make it work for you and to stay g- genuine and authentic, but there are pitfalls and you can slip, you know, so you just got to be careful. Yeah.
4: But talking about the power of TikTok, I mean, obviously, I'm Just a Kid was a massive hit in this scene anyway. But over the last couple of years, it has exploded to even a bigger hit than it's ever been, weirdly, because of all these TikTok trends and videos, and it's become such a staple for that platform. I'm sure it's been kind of weird to have that song have even more attention to it like 20 years after it's come out i mean like i'm sure it's just being a wild ride seeing that song alone explode recently
2: yeah very bizarre and what's what's really cool about it is that we had nothing to do with that you know like uh and that's where that's also where you know people point at simple plan and might be saying like you got to do what they did it's like we didn't even do that like it just happened (laughs) you (laughs) know what i mean so so you have to, and, and the, the thing about TikTok and, and those new sort of like, you know, even the Instagram reels, it's kind of like gambling. You got to put some money down. And sometimes you feel like you made a great video. Like I made a great TikTok, didn't pick up. It got like, you know, 20,000 views. And then I made a silly one. I didn't even care about. And that one, it got 5 million views. So you just got to step at the table and just like put a bunch of content out there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really cool to see 20 years later, a song that still connects. I think it's, you know, you have to take it. It's a bit tongue in cheek. I think that I have to look at it and be like, yeah, I think that some people may look at that song and be like, ha, ah, that song's funny. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It, it puts, it puts attention towards my band. And uh, yeah, like it, it, it actually, I think the spins on like just on Spotify, uh, went up like a hundred million spins just wow. from the TikTok thing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's cool opportunities like that. And so, and what what I'm interested to see is, because I'm just a kid, yes, it was a staple song in our set that we've always played and people know it. But I'm excited to see in, you know, this next year of touring if when we play this song, the reaction just gets even bigger because of that, you know? So it'd be interesting
4: to see. I'm I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. But let's um let's fast forward and talk about this new record now, Harder Than It Looks, being released on May 6th. When you guys go into the studio to write a new record, it's definitely not rushed. I mean, it's always a long time you want to make sure that it's the best record it can be. And you've apologized to fans. Sometimes that is, it's been a little bit longer than expected. Um, but does that just show how much you guys care as a band now? Because especially in the early days, you're releasing records so fast after each other, but you kind of want to make it right now that if simple plan are going to make another record. It has to be worth it.
2: Yeah, I think it's uh it, it shows how much uh, control freaks we are <laughs> in a, a bit, how much we overthink things. And we're a bit perfectionist. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, uh we just, we're unable to, to not care. We're unable to just be like, yeah, let's we'll put this out. You know, like we, it's, it's just part of our personality. I think it's all of us in the band have just this drive to, to be the best that we can be, whether it's on stage or, uh or recording or whatever we do. We're just, we're just very, very passionate about what we have and, and we want to keep it and we want to, We want to never take it for granted. And I think that's what kind of made simple plan, simple plan, you know, and that's what, that's why the songs sound the way they do. You know, I think that we don't, we don't uh, get in the studio until we have 10, 11 songs that we feel like there could be all could be singles, you know, and that means that sometimes the songs are a little bit annoyingly catchy. I, I, it's so funny because it's just the way that I write. I can't help it. Like I try, I listen to some cool, you know more indie music that just like doesn't really have a big chorus, but it's really awesome and it sounds great. And I'm like, man, I wish I could do that, but I can't. Like, I'm I'm a I'm a dick. I'm addicted to uh, to big books, you know. And like, nice. And 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 I'll admit that sometimes it can be too catchy, you know. If you listen, so there's a balance there.
3: Nah, um, nah. Do you know what? Yeah, who's oh, complaining? Yeah, I, that, I was just about to say that's a brilliant thing to be like. Oh, do you know, I'm I'm absolutely cursed with being able to <laughs> write some of the best choruses you'll never forget. Oh. Yeah, exactly. But I like that,
2: you know, because I I always felt like I always felt like if if I like a song, I should be able to sing a couple of lines of it, and you should be able to know what it is. Yeah. You know three I mean? words.
3: Yeah, <laughs> three words, and it's. And it's stuck with me all day now. And yeah, TikTok's just <laughs> added to that tenfold. But
2: that's the way I feel about, you know, that's the way I feel about other classic songs that I like. You know, I th- think about like Tom Petty songs and like, because I'm free, free falling. You know what song I'm talking about, you know? If I tell you, uh, you know, uh, this is a cheesy one, but and I, I will always love you know, you, you recognize yeah. the songs, yeah. you know. And sometimes I, I listen to stuff like Arcade Fire, which I do like that band a lot, but I can't I can't sing you a chorus. I, I don't know any of the choruses, you know. I'm sure they have great choruses, but so I'm more that's like the, the the Beatles, you know, hooky. I wanna hold your hand. I like those choruses, you know. So that's what I write.
4: Yeah. What's what's your um your trick to those catchy choruses though? Like is there anything when writing that you try to keep it like as simple to, to remember it like how how would you describe your technique with that uh i think one
2: of the keys to how i've done that is because we usually think of a lyrical hook first and then i sing it oh. so a lot of people because i've been writing with a lot of people in my life and we've written we've done some co-writing sessions and i'm supposed to go somewhere tomorrow to write with someone else um, and a lot of people will put a track together. They'll sing a melody and then they try to put words to it. Well, I've always done the opposite. Like I've done, like, you know, Chuck will come up with like a massive, you know, a hundred different titles that have little stories behind them. Um, and it will be like, let's say it's, I'm just a kid or I can't forget. I can't remember who came up with that one, but I'm not going to go like, and then put words to it. I'm just thinking in my head, I'm thinking like. I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid. And that's, and that's way the, the melody and the lyrics. I mean, the, the melody is really made to fit the lyric. And I think that's why they become more memorable. Like we we didn't sing when we wrote Welcome to My Life, we didn't write a part and then go, we did Welcome to My Life. And that, I don't know. I think that's why it's more catchy because sometimes Mm -hmm. I've been in writing sessions where someone will have a melody and I'm trying to piece words together and yeah, I can make it work, but I feel like it's never as, um, it doesn't work as well as if you take a line, um, and, and sing it, you know, you take a lyric and you say, how can I sing this lyric to make it the most memorable possible? That's how I do.
4: Well, you mentioned, um, the lyrics to addicted there. and I wanted to bring those up at one point because literally I remember the way I got into simple plan was seeing the music video on Kerrang! back in the day, Uh, never heard you guys before and then hearing that line and just being memorized of how (laughs) clever it was and it's probably still (laughs) one of my favorite Simple Plan songs to this day, but do you have like any favorite lyrics like that which you just thought, oh, that was clever, that was like you're really proud of or that the crowd just sing and maybe you weren't expecting them to pick up on a certain part uh, when Mm -hmm. you were writing them?
2: Yeah, that one, a dick, I'm a dick, I'm addicted to you was definitely uh, on purpose, but there's a funny story behind that one. So I remember we were in Chuck's bedroom when we came up with that one. uh, So I wanted to go with that, like that kind of six, eight vibe or whatever you call it. And we were so proud of like, oh my God, it's gonna be hilarious because you can say dick on the radio because dick is just... It's a stutter. You can't, yeah. you can't, you can't censor me because of my speech impediment. That's, that would be wrong. <laughs> um, so, so we knew we could say it, you know, and it would, it would catch people's attention. But the funny thing is that we were in the studio where we recorded this song. Uh, we're towards the end of the recording process. We're mixing. We're excited. We know we've got addicted as a single coming up. We've got I do anything. We've got I'm just a kid. We know it's going to be, you know, we, we have a good feeling about what's going to happen. And then one of our favorite bands lit at the time, uh, you know, they were, they were, they were coming along with blink One Eighty Two. They were all, you know, playing, playing stuff, playing shows together and, uh, appearing in each other's videos. And lit comes out with a song after their big hit, my own worst enemy. Uh, they come out with a song that we hear cause it's the next single and it's called addicted. And the chorus says, I'm addicted to you, but you're such a dick to me. And we're like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like a band in the same genre came up with the same pun or the same play on words. And um, we were just so upset. We're like, this is it. This is ju- addicted has been ruined. We can't put it out. And our AR guy at the time, Andy Carp, was like, guys, I know this is, di- it's deflating, but let's not worry about it. It's their next single. Maybe it won't do well. Maybe it won't, you know, be a hit. Sure enough, I love lit guys and i'm 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 sorry to I'm sorry to be happy that it didn't do well for them but it didn't it, it didn't really it didn't really pop so you know they didn't really uh have any success from it so it left the you know the door open for i'm a dick I'm addicted to you to come out and so that was a funny
4: one <laughs> is there is there any other lyrics like that though that come to come to mind
2: um let's see I really liked i i like the uh the play on words of my heart is so jet lag and the whole idea of like you know being apart from the person you love. Um, what else do we have? That's good. Uh, I mean, all, all the lyrics have always been, we, you know, Chuck is great with that. Chuck will like sit down for hours and like write down all of these ideas and like little, little, he'll have like titles, song titles, um, and, uh, had some great ones. I love welcome to my life. You know, do you like, do you ever feel like this? Do you ever feel like that? Well, you don't know what it's like. Welcome to my life. You know, I think that those kind of lyrics that people can really, Identify with, And of course, I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. That one
4: yeah. lasts forever. Yeah. And that's such an, uh, an emotional song with, a, with a, a lot of your listeners. But go into the reprocess of, of this new record. Really, while you were getting it all together, this was really the first time that you were free agents in a really way after not being on a record deal and having that kind of control over your future and what was to do next in some weird way do you think that was quite refreshing to be at that point in the band's career now where you had an opportunity like this and and had nothing to fall back on did it create like a new spark
2: um it did it it was interesting because our career we've always fought for creative control and we've always um we haven't had to fight with it for for it too hard because we had a label that believed in us and uh they kind of let us do our thing of course they helped us out but they were never getting in our way and they were never telling us no you can't do this you can't do that they kind of they always trusted our intuition um so it hasn't been a massive change however the biggest change is that now the decisions you know whether it's like what video should we do what what song is going to be a single those, those decisions that are so important. Now you don't have anybody else to sort of like blame if it doesn't go well, now it's all on you, you know? So <laughs> it, it adds a, it adds a layer of responsibility that we're like, well, I don't know. I, I think this one's the right one, but what do you guys think? And we're just, we're all kind of like relying on each other as opposed to someone who says, you know, I'm an A&R, I'm a, and i am ai am the, I'm the vice president of Atlantic records, or I know what I'm talking about. That's your single, you know? So it does, That used to bring us a little bit of like sense of comfort of like, okay, if he believes that's the one, maybe we should, we can feel good about it. So it adds some pressure, but it does. It's nice for a band like us who've been around the block a few times, uh, to have that sort of freedom. And it is refreshing. You know, it is nice to to know that we can do whatever we want and and that we've, and that we've paid for our own record and that, uh, if it does well, it'll be all on us, you know, and if it does, but that's the thing, if it doesn't do well, then it's all on us too.
3: (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah, you need really you need to employ somebody like just takes the blame towards the end of yeah, a exactly. For
2: the
0: fault It's time. his
3: fault. <laughs> yeah, the blame specialist, yeah. You just get yeah. that in you're like, oh yeah, what's going on yeah? Oh yeah bastards! We you your fault. But, yeah, it's not a bad idea. I might start take up that job, yeah. Just have people in bands shouting at me. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. <laughs>
4: But obviously, uh, Derek Weebly from 741 is, is featuring on this record as well, and the singles have a lot of success so far. But just kind of over your career, you have collaborated with a bunch of different artists. I mean, obviously, you know, Blink-182, New Glory, Weezer have all been on tracks, but you've had people from like Nelly to Natasha Bedingfield to Sean Paul, like... It's just the amount of, of difference in those collaborations must really make you happy as a songwriter that, you know, you've had the big other big artists in this scene, but you've worked with people no one would really have thought to put you two together.
2: Yeah, I think that describes Simple Plan very well. You know, even in the early beginnings of our career, we were never, uh, you know, going back on the, on the whole idea of, of the scene and emo and punk and are you punk or are you not? Uh, we always blurred those lines. We were like, you know, I, I remember early on, we, uh, we had the opportunity to open for Avril Lavigne. Well, Avril Lavigne was like the new pop star at the time, you know, yeah, yeah. and we knew that we knew that some people, you know, the warp Tour scene or whatever would be like, you know, you guys are lame. Why are you opening up for Avril Lavigne? And we're like, you know what? Screw that. We don't care. We're going to do it. Cause we know it's a cool opportunity and we'll be, we'll be, we'll be put in front of way more fans opening up for her. And we can still be ourselves. We don't have to change who we are. As long as we are true to who we are, then no one can really say anything you know, about it that, that will actually affect us. We'll feel like, hey, who, who does it matter? I can go play in front of a uh, an old folks home. As long as I'm playing simple plan and I'm being myself, it doesn't change that. You know what I mean? Uh, so that kind of is what we've carried through our careers. And that's why you know the collaborations have been so eclectic and you know, we feel like, Hey, why not? Like, I, mean, I think Nelly's cool. I think Sean Paul is cool. I think Natasha Benningfield's cool. I love Rivers from Weezer. And sometimes to be honest, we would reach out to the people that you would expect, you know, would be on our records and they would turn it down. So it's like, well, if, if, uh, if this guy in a cool band that we like, and sometimes it may have been a scheduling thing. It might not be, it might not be a thing where they, they might, you know, not like our band, but they're like, yeah, we just did too many collaborations. I'm not sure if it's the right fit, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and it's like, okay, well this person who's got a great career. Yeah. Different genre maybe is absolutely willing and excited to be on the record. So, Hey, let's do it. Like I won't name any names, but we, we picked Natasha Bedingfield. We went through a, a long list of who you would expect us to go for. And they're like, nah, nah. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, she's into it. She's got a great voice. She's got a cool career. Let's do it. Who cares? You know?
3: No, oh, that's awesome. You know, I love the idea of you just sitting there going right then. Um. Somebody phoned Tom DeLonge. He's too busy. Is he? All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sean Paul. <laughs> like yeah. Sean. De- like, right, Tom DeLonge. He can't make it. Can he? All right. We need an axe. We need somebody with a bit of a strange voice. Sean Paul. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Job done. That's it was really amazing. between yeah. Tom DeLonge and Sean Paul. It was really a close. Break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how um. How did that? Yeah, but how did that Sean Paul collaboration come about? Does, is that just like you guys emailing Sean Paul or? Well, so,
2: so Sean Paul, Sean Paul was a funny one. Cause uh, the song Summer Paradise that we wrote, you know, had a, it was the first time that we had a song that has like more of an acoustic beachy vibe. Uh, it was a big departure for simple plan, uh, you know, kind of like a Jack Johnson vibe. And we wanted to put a, a collaborator that would be from, from an outside, you know, from an outside style. Uh, so we found this guy called Canaan who was a, a big Canadian artist at the time, really up and up and coming, had a big song, uh, what a big Coca-Cola promotional song that was like, uh, it was awesome. He was really sort of like, he was going to be the next big thing. Right. Uh, so he, we, we called him up and he was Canadian too. Uh, and we put him on the song. He sang on it. It was great. And then, uh, we, we put the song out in Australia first. It was going to be our single. We put it on Australia. People loved it. And it became a hit in Australia pretty quickly. It really, uh, it really did well we're going to release it to the rest of the world because it's it's blowing up in Australia. It's doing great. Let's release it in Europe and in South America and Canada. And so we tell the, we tell canons people and they said, nah, you know what? We don't want uh, Canon's got too many songs coming out. We don't want to release the rights for a single in America, in Europe, in wow. South America. And so, so we were kind of screwed. We we're like, well, what are we going to do? So we had to look for someone to replace him. And Sean Paul happened to be on Atlantic records which was the same record label as we were on. And, uh, you know, it, obviously Sean Paul, Jamaican legend who just, you know, has, has had t- so many hits. So we placed a call through our record label and said, like, Hey, would you come in and like just replace this and do the whole parts? And he was like, hell yeah, I'll do it. So he did it and it became a massive hit. Mm, and, 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 wow. and, and poor, and poor Kanon, his, his songs didn't really connect. And I don't know what he's doing these days, but like, I'm assuming. That uh and I know by the way, it wasn't him. He loved the song and he wanted to do it, but his management and record label were like, No, 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 no we can't do this. And I'm sure I would imagine that at this point he's probably thinking, like, you idiots,
3: this <laughs> yeah. could have been a hit for us, you know. Wow. Yeah. Well, he's, he's lucky, he's lucky that he's got a manager to blame. Like a yeah, exactly. <laughs> label to blame. There <laughs> You go. <laughs> there go.
4: Oh, literally. Uh oh, Pierre, I'm absolutely loving all of these stories. But one thing we um regularly touch on with guests on the podcast it's just really a moment of their career or life where they've just looked back and not being able to comprehend the situation they're in if it's kind of meeting one of their musical icons or just playing a festival or anything that they've always dreamt of and never expected them to to reach that moment when looking back and especially over recent years having that time to kind of digest everything that's gone on with the band is there any moments like that, that that stick out to you where you look back on and you just think wow that's a that's a real special moment for us
2: um one of the biggest moments but there, there's uh there's two i would say when we started blowing up in america and uh in other places we had a lot we were selling like millions of records and it was going super well but at home in montreal we were big but we weren't like it, you would you would imagine from a bunch of french canadians from quebec that there would be a big deal, it would be like, oh my god, this band, it's these little kids from French, from from uh, Montreal, Quebec, are blowing up and selling platinum records around the world, and are doing so well. But we didn't have that recognition that much for the first few years, and it was kind of hurt. It was hurtful for us because we we're like, hey, shouldn't we be like hailed? As, and I, I'm not asking for all the praise, but I'm like, you would imagine we would be sort of like the hometown heroes. You know, like people would love us. You know, but it didn't really start off that way. And then after like four or five years, our, our, our hometown kind of picked up on it. And then we came back and played a show at our uh, hometown arena. It was, called, it's, uh, it was called the Molson Center at the time, or the Bell Center, Molson Center. Uh, it's where the Montreal Canadiens play. And we sold it out, 17,000 people in the arena. And it was like, not only was it a sold out concert that was awesome, but it was a feeling for all of us of like, yes, our hometown... Recognizes that we've done well and and is embracing us as the people that are going out there and talking about Montreal and talking about being French Canadians and all that stuff. And the show was just bonkers. We went up on stage. The crowd was the loudest crowd I've ever heard in my life. And, uh, all of us were just holding back tears as we're trying to sing like, I do anything, you know, like, (laughs) and we're trying not to cry and we're just having a blast. And I remember that moment is, you know, just sort of, uh, just frozen in my mind. I'll never forget it. Just being on that stage and just feeling all choked up, seeing my parents, seeing my uncles and aunts and my music teacher from high school and, you know, all of our friends in front of a sold out arena. That was mind blowing. And then a couple of years later, <clears throat> we played a, a festival in Quebec City. Same kind of feeling. There was a, the, the, the newspaper said there was a hundred and fifty thousand people there. I think it's an exaggeration, but there was a hell of a lot of people and it was a big festival. It was a, it's part of like a summer festival there. So the tickets were very, very cheap, but, uh, nonetheless, I mean, it was a sea of people that I couldn't see the end of. And that just felt, it just felt really, you just felt really appreciated. You felt like, Oh my God, like I, this is, this is amazing. We're in our hometown, you know, we really feel there's a love, you know? So that was two amazing moments.
3: Yeah. You are, um, you've just proved, oh, you're a nicer and better human being than me because if I went to my, if I went to my hometown, and my band was as big as yours, and uh, then I went to do a 17,000 capacity show, I would let them know. I'd be like, where yeah. the fuck is it? Where have <laughs> you all been? Where have you been? We're massive everywhere else. What's going on? Are you there for you but What's going on? Are we not going to yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I'd go mad on them. So yeah, yeah. congratulations. You're thank a nicer you. human than me. But, oh, yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah. Well, Pierre, <laughs> just
4: a couple of uh, quick things before we let you go i mean obviously this year is the 20th year anniversary of your debut album no pads no helmet just balls um i think that is really a record not only did it start everything for you guys but it just connected with so many people in that kind of pop punk scene is there a highlight from that time making the record its initial cycle or just little things you've noticed looking back on it now where you just cement that record a little bit more for you or, and and really starting off? I think it was
2: a great learning process because we came from kind of raised and, and, uh, was in the punk scene for a lot of time. And and even before making this record, I was always like all or nothing. It was like, it was like, all the volume was all high. It was all fast. It was, and our producer at the time was a very different, he, he was a kind of a different style producer. He produced like our lady piece and bigger Canadian bands. Um And he taught us a lot, and we spent a lot of time in the studio. We made demos with him. We slept in the studio, and it was a little little room with like six bunk beds that we 'd sleep in um and the experience of being there for so long and you know learning about more dynamics and learning about uh subtlety and like what we can do with like you know removing instruments and like making the part sound smaller to be able to go from there and grow. You know, I, I look back at that time and that record and I'm thankful for all the lessons I've learned from Arnold. Uh, and, uh, and, and just spending all that time with, with the guys in the band. We literally lived at the studio for like months at a time, because we'd come in for a couple of weeks. We'd do a couple of demos. We'd sleep there, goof around. It was like in an, 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 an industrial area of Toronto uh, where there was nothing at night. There was just us and industrial buildings. We'd go like skateboarding and play outside, just be like, you know, just young guys, just doing nothing. Um, and, but the whole time we were, it was like going to school. It was going like to this interesting school of life, school of rock star life, and just learning about making a better record. And uh, I just look back and I'm just really appreciative of those times.
4: Nice. And obviously, the new record, Harder Than It Looks, comes out May 6. Is there a, any tracks in particular for that that maybe not scheduled to be singles that you're very excited and, and really hope people? Uh, listen to and and kind of take a message away from that
2: yeah i'm excited about uh, a song called a million pictures of you uh it's nothing groundbreaking but i just love the vibe it's got like i I was inspired by some tom petty kind of vibe i feel like it's a good driving song it's about being in love and feeling like you just want to keep looking at this person you're in love with taking more pictures and just enjoying just you know staring which is kind of weird like a stalker way um but, (laughs) but that's a great song I love Iconic. I feel like Iconic is like one of those songs that'll catch you off guard. That'll be, uh, that'll be like, wait, this is, this is simple plan. Uh, so we, <laughs> we always have to do that once in a while. And there's a song called best day of my life, which, uh, the title is really should be best fucking day of my life. Uh, that's what, that's what the lyric is. And it's like a fast, this, that, that one is kind of like a throwback to my previous band called reset and my you know, no effect face-to-face green day phase of my life for a fast fast and just an awesome song. And what I think is cool about it is that it's a song about trying to grow and live in the moment and be more positive. And I think for me in my life, and I think a lot of people, I looked at a lot of times I look at my life and I look at the things that I've done wrong and like what I could have done better and what I've, you know, where I messed up and where like, oh, I, sometimes I get scared about what is going to possibly go wrong but I'm trying to focus on what's going to be good and like look a, and try to live my life. Like it's going to be an awesome day, you know? So I love the positive message accompanied with like super fast, you know, drums and guitars and just ripping. Uh, so yeah, some great songs in there and slow motion, slow motion has got like a, a little bit of a longer song, more epic feeling, but yeah, I'd love, I just love the whole record. I'm super excited.
3: Is there any, um, is there any weird collaborations that you tried for this record that didn't uh, work out?
2: Um, we're still looking, so the record's going to come out, but I think we want to have some collaborations for like some some single releases, uh, and we're still looking for some people. So uh, we should be able to keep you updated on that pretty soon. There's nice. going to be some fun stuff. Yeah,
4: <laughs> awesome. Well, honestly, Pierre, thank you so much for taking the time for this. This is an episode I've wanted to do for a very very long time. Ever since you released the self titled record in '08, that was a yep. one in school to help me through a lot and i'm just really glad that uh, you're still making new music better than ever and yeah just massive fans so thanks for taking the time
2: that's awesome well thank you guys so much it was a uh, it was a pleasure and uh, great questions and I-, I had a really good time
1: hey it's Paige Desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
4: you to Yes! Woo!
3: What a lovely, 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 lovely chap. Almost too nice. Almost <laughs> too nice.
4: <laughs> uh, but it was just great getting an inside look behind such an iconic band to this scene. As I said, there's so many mega hits and just their choruses that I've influenced a whole generation of bands today, and it's just nice to see that they're as happy, as positive, as successful as ever, taking over fucking TikTok, and it's just, it's just mad, an absolutely mad experience.
3: And there's me slagging TikTok off to him saying, fucking, I hate that band, shouldn't have to dance. And then he's like, well, I think you'll find I fucking master TikTok. And they are changing the name to uh, PA Talk soon. Um, But yes, congratulations to PA and Simple Plan for mastering social media that I absolutely cannot get to grips with. You're older than me. Uh, I'd imagine he's older than me. I wonder if he is older than me. Got to be older than me, surely. Simple Plan were a band and out and doing stuff before I was in a band. Anyway, do you know what I found interesting? That he writes his lyrics first. Which obviously plays a big part in his massive, massive choruses as well. I'm Just a Kid, for example. The one you admitted to earlier. Yeah, very, very good. Thank you again to Pierre. We enjoyed this very much. Let us know what you thought of this interview on uh Instagram or Twitter, at SapinPod, at S-A-P-P-E-N-I-N-P-O-D. That's S-A-P-P-E-N-I-N-P-O-D. Yes, please.
4: Send us some messages. We'd love to hear your feedback. And just a reminder that Simple Plan's new record, Harder Than It Looks, will be released now on May the 6th. And if we can just tone it to a serious note for a second. um, oh. Since we recorded this episode, they've released a new music video titled Wake Me Up, when this nightmare's over, that raises awareness and money for the struggles going on in Ukraine at the moment. As uh, so a whole, Ukraine director, cast and crew behind the video highlighting all the struggles with the war and everything going on over there. And all the money from the YouTube videos and views uh, will go directly to UNICEF Ukraine Emergency Appeal and their charity, the Simple Plan Foundation. Um, and they said they're going to be working closely together a lot of things going forward as well. So absolutely worth checking that out. Um, I watched it before recording this and it's very upsetting.
3: Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Joe, you, know you said all that bit. You went, right, serious moment. And then you did all that bit. And my first thought was, they're fucking too nice. Like, it's just, <laughs> boys, fucking, that's amazing. Thank you very much yes. for doing that. We appreciate that. Even though I'm not Ukrainian, I genuinely appreciate that. And, um, yeah, go check it out now. They're fucking lovely. They're just all fucking lovely eggs in Canada, aren't they? They are. They are. But obviously, on Sapling, we
4: like to kind of distract people from the world, have a laugh, not be too serious, and just somewhere for you to escape from. And if you'd like to have even more of an escape, go back and check out episode 89 We're Matt Cutchell of Emo Not Dead Features. Obviously, we talked about him in the episode. And he's someone people always come up to us and say, oh, have you thought about getting Matt Cutchell from Emo Not Dead on? And we go, we have. Here's the link. (laughs) Yeah, again,
3: here he is. But also, I've had a lot of people reach out saying, I can't believe you've had him on as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's been been good. And he is now a friend of the podcast. And let's just say I am currently, oh, can I say that? I'm in talks with some something to do with Emo's not dead and us. So let's let's
0: Ooh. see
3: what happens. Fingers crossed that comes off. But yeah, check out Matt Catchall's episode, the Emo's not dead episode. We've got yeah, we got loads of Canadians. Oh, if you like this because he's Canadian, we got we've had loads of Canadians on. If you like this because he's in a pop punk band, oh, have I got a surprise <laughs> for you? Fuck, on a punk band. Um, if you like great songwriters, check out almost every episode of this. Minus the one we did with the Blackout Boys. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, so much for you to dive back into. And of course, keep updated with everything we've got going forward. Because there's a lot of cool things coming up in the future. And I can tell you the best place to get a secret announcement before we're even allowed to tell people what goes on. Patreon.com forward slash Sapnin. Of course, over there, you got loads of bonuses. You get extra podcasts. You get videos. You get playlists. Fringe you just you get a fringe reveal last week from Sean that uh, attracted a lot of attention. Um, but the community is one of our favorite things to come out with this podcast. It's so lovely to see people connecting with each other, uh, going to gigs, meeting up at festivals and just hanging out whenever they've got downtime. So uh, patreon.com forward slash satin to get involved with that.
3: Yes, as Morgan said there, um, we do tend to spill the beans on some announcements we have first over there. So um, if you are the owner or operator of a major festival and you want to see if we've leaked any information about you, sign up to the highest here at patreon.com forward slash Andy Corbin, Ben Ray, etc.
4: <laughs> if you head to the description of this episode, there's loads of names there that we'd like to thank. But of course, Sean is going to give a mohoosive shout out to the elite members of our Sapnen podcast Patreon community. How
3: big? How big? Mahusiv. Fucking
4: hell. It's it's bigger than massive. And I'm not sure how lower it is from gigantic. I'd like to think it's almost there.
3: Thank you very much, Kylie Wheeler. Mayumi Scooter leave I hope that's her middle name because that's cool as fuck. Unless she's recently become a big fan of German Raver's Scooter and that's... Even better for me, so thank you very much. Mayumi Scooter away, thank you. Janelle Caston, Cletus Hirschfield, Mitch Perry, Dilly Grimwood, who I saw in London the other day with uh Murray Grimwood, fantastic to see them. Kelly Irwin, Natasha Morris, Kelly Young, Emma Barber, Nathan Croshall, Sammy G, Tony Michael, who's at the cake, thank you very much. Kat Besson, Jerry Robertson. Murray Grimwood, Cletus Jones, Amy Campion. Amy Louise Alexandra Pembleton, Cletus McNaught Tom Owen Chris Howard, Callan Robinson M Evans Roberts Joe Ackland, Jacob Edrington Kate Patack. Thank you very much for coming in the other night as well Martina McManus Louis Cook Thank you very much for coming and then running off to another gig straight after Unbelievable Thank you very much Carl Pendlebury, Danny Eaton James McNaught Cletus Harris Jenny Sexy Boy Munster Emily Perry Jason Oredia Kelly Cannon Becky Andy John and Emma Kalila Keane Cletus Yeho, Amesbury, Adam King of the Ghost Pass Josh, I'm not saying I'm attractive, but when I take my clothes off in the bathroom, I turn the shower on, Chris. Thank you very much, Alice Wood, Amadina Bano, thank you very much, Reese Bowring Nos Nib or Antak. Oh that's Katrina Robinson back. Good, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Kate Stevenson, Cal David Smith, thank you very much, Connor Lewins, and last by no means least, thank you very much. Daniel Stevenson, don't worry, Sean, I will give you the week off and not make you read out something long and ridiculous. Have a... <sighs> Have a what? Well, it's out of characters, I think.
4: Ah, uh, Well, thank you very much to everyone for making this thing happen each and every week. You're absolutely our favorite humans, and we couldn't do this on the weekly without you. So we very much appreciate it, and we do appreciate anyone listening to this as we speak. Um, Just a quick couple of things before we go, Uh, if you missed it recently, we announced that we'll be doing a live podcast, one of these live, at Uh, Download Festival 2022 in June, it's fast approaching, so make sure you, uh, if you're at the festival, come and see us, because fuck knows what's going to happen, and if you're listening to this on the Friday... Voting for the Heavy Music Awards closes at 5pm UK time. So please go and vote for us while you can. Uh, if you've missed it and you didn't vote, then fuck you.
3: Yeah, that's true. And um, yeah, if if you didn't vote when on Wednesdays, we wear black win. Um, that'd be your fault. So <laughs> thank you very much um, to you guys for not voting. Check out my band Raiders at RaidersBandUK on all the socials and stuff. Thank you very much to St. Agnes for having my band support the other day at the Camden Underworld. We had a great time. Thank you very much to Trees for putting it on. Um, that is it, I believe, Morg.
4: Go and follow me at MHRichards underscore on Twitter and Instagram if for some reason you want to know where I'm up to.
3: Yeah, post um, news oh, all the time. I, I, and also, I wanna... that, fr- that, fr- that fringe reveal I did the other day. Is because I got a tiny fringe cut in and it looks stupid as fuck. So definitely check <laughs> that out. Patreon.com post that,
4: before we um before we close, I'm gonna end on a joke. And I came up with this myself this week and I was very, very proud of it. So I think I'd share right, it. With probably,
3: everyone. Listen, listen, I'm probably gonna go now. <laughs> so you can dump that joke in later, and I haven't after you there. no go on, um, go on, I'll come on.
4: How come would on. you how would you upset people in a bookstore? Go on. You throw a spanner in the works. <laughs> oh.
3: Yeah, but like at best, right? That's, that's probably going to annoy two people in the... In, I get it, in the bookshop, the works, right? Unless you hit more than two people, it's... How do you annoy a person I go for? And it fucking hell. Is this what life has come to? See you next Friday.
4: Sapman. Sapmin
3: It's all gone wrong for me. You're listening to Sapmin podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um, thank you very much.